Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. Here with me is Jay Jones. Good morning. This is Text Driven Tuesday. Yep. And I'm going to try not to cough through the entire episode. Hopefully. Because we don't do any editing after the fact. That's how we roll. You make that very clear. People, that uh, you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You know, we listen to some podcasts, some other podcasts, and it's clear that they have some type of editor or something. They all add in like music in the podcast, like little pauses, mm-hmm. like, and they clean up all the coughs. We don't care. This is just two guys having a conversation, like real life, <coughs> non-rehearsed. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. <laughs> Unfortunately. <Yeah. clears throat> That's cream soda for you legalists out there. That's not beer. <laughs> That's not a beer. Cream soda can be confused with beer. <clears throat> it's also ten o'clock in the morning and that's it's of a that good a little amber a good amber hue. Mm-hmm. Vanilla cream. Henry I don't know if I can say his last name on the podcast, George. Inappropriate, maybe. Not even going to try it. Take my word for it. It's pretty good. My dad brought it in for us. He's he's running the uh, it's too early camera your, back there. It's too early for your shenanigans, Jay. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you uh, you finished you finished Jonah. Yep. <clears throat> How you feel? It's always a good feeling to finish a book. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, people people gave me a hard time about being in John for like five years, so I figure <laughs> I'd knock out a slightly longer than Jonah. Yeah, I figured I'd knock out a few books. <clears throat> so we, uh, what do we do? Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Ecclesiastes, Jonah. So probably time to dip dip my toes back into the New Testament yeah. next year. So that's what we're going with. Probably go with Romans. Yeah, first of the year. That's probably how we'll kick it off. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish Hebrews. Then uh-huh. I'm gonna do Malachi. Malachi will take me <clears throat> about ten sermons, I think. Uh-huh. Then I, I plan on doing Matthew. Okay. So we're just going to be in two books for the rest of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of not nice to know where your future's headed. <clears throat> yep. We'll yeah. either be in Romans or Matthew. Yeah. Maybe we should take a Romans intermission. Yeah. Go back to the Old Testament for a few weeks. We'll see. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. We'll let future Jay and George worry about that. Yeah. <clears throat> Feels good to finish a book, though. Yeah. Put the this morning. I put all the books back up on my uh, mm. in my shelf and got my Roman notes out. They're okay. sitting on my desk. Yeah. So I providentially kept everything from seminary that I mm. took down for Romans. I had a whole semester. So my New Testament professor, he did New Testament survey. It's supposed to be survey, right? Right. He did it a little different. Okay. Yeah, he was he was a little bit eccentric. Uh-huh. He's the guy I told you about that lived off of Jolly Ranchers and Espresso. That's like he didn't eat food. He... Uh, he was he was an awesome guy. He's the guy I told you about. He used to be a, a like a a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. powerlifter, and he would like relentlessly bully this Christian. Yeah, remember me telling you about him? Mm-hmm. 
and yep. he'd like flush, he'd put the guy's head in the <clears> toilet, <throat> all kinds of stuff. And the guy always tried to share the gospel with him. He can, well, when he converted, he ran to the guy's dorm room, banged on the door, and the guy opened it. You know, he's like, ah, like thinking <laughs> right. he's going to get attacked and told him he had become a Christian. And yeah. So, really cool guy, but he had his own ways. So, we were supposed to get, you know, usually survey one is like the Gospels, mm-hmm. maybe the Gospels and Acts. He's like, that's not my style. I'm going to teach you how to go through a book of the Bible, and once you see me do it, you'll have the tools to do any other gospel. Mm. And then so New Testament Survey 2, he's like, I'm going to do the book of Romans. Once you see how I go through the book of Romans, you'll see how you should go through any book in the New Testament. And so that's all we did for a whole semester. He went through, he walked through the book of Romans verse by verse, Mm. which was awesome on one hand, but also not awesome on the other, because then I had to learn the other books, right? <laughs> right. Like by myself, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So is that why you're doing this? Is that why you did John, and now you're going to do Romans? You're doing the books that you know. Yeah. Yeah. So he, <laughs> okay. uh, I have a bunch of handouts. <clears throat> yeah. That are very helpful. They're his own. Okay. Uh, like outlines mm. and and uh, and all the various <clears throat> background things, and I thought I'd lost them, but I found them. And so I rejoiced in what I thought was lost and is found. Have you started outlining the book yet? No. Okay. Mm-mm. No. Um, it never really works out how I outline it anyway. Mm-hmm. I remember one day I spent, I don't know, I probably spent a whole week outlining the Gospel of John and uh, at Chick-fil-A, actually. Um, and once you get in there and you start... Mm-hmm. Doesn't always work. Oh yeah, for a preaching outline. So I mean, it does a lot of a lot of times, but no, <laughs> I'll, I'll start that. So I've got I've got two months, mm-hmm. I guess, to prepare for that. Yeah, because you'll finish Hebrews and then we'll go into our summer or our our uh, Christmas time preaching season where the other elders get to preach, mm-hmm. and then and then I'll go I'll jump back on. So I have some time to right spend there outlining and. And getting ready. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've I've preached the book of Malachi before at a at the the previous church before we merged. <clears throat> it's one of the first books that I preached. So it's been 8 years. 8 years ago. So I went back and tried to outline without looking at anything. Uh-huh. And uh, it was it was about the same. Okay. About the same. And cool. then I looked at a couple of commentaries and they outlined it the same way so there you go feel feel pretty good but started looking at matthew and i was like i have, I have no idea <laughs> i have no idea i'm gonna outline this thing yeah, yeah. have you have you ever <clears throat> preached through a long narrative like that judges is the longest narrative book i've preached through yeah um i've never preached through a gospel that's why i wanted to preach okay. through a gospel yeah. you can't have all the fun right and yeah. uh i like matthew yeah i think it was the first one written so okay <clears throat> We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. We'll be in it for a long time, I imagine. Probably. I, I wanted to, uh, before everything happened at the, the previous church and, and we, we merged, I had intended on preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh-huh. Uh, didn't work out. So I've been holding on to that for a long time, and I, I figured, oh, let's just do the whole book. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Yep. We put Jonah. <clears throat> Jonah ends. All right. Today's the last the last word on Jonah, I guess. Yeah, so we're uh, we're in chapter 4. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles, you'll want to open up to Jonah chapter 4. And uh, you want to recap? I don't know if we need to recap on the on the podcast. You want to recap? Uh, sure. I mean, that... Maybe just tuning in. But yeah. um, here's where we pick up. So Jonah was given that mandate to go. Preached to Nineveh. He refused to go. Went the other way. God intervenes. Throws a storm upon the sea. Uh, sailors throw him in the ocean at his own request. He's dying. He's on the verge of death, about to enter into Sheol, and God rescues him. Salvation through judgment. The whale. We saw how all that pointed to Christ. Um, after he spit out onto the beach, last week we talked about him. He actually went and he preached to Nineveh, and there's a mass repentance and conversion of the whole city. It's a miracle. I, th- I think the biggest miracle in the book, one of the biggest miracles in the Bible, actually, um, which is surprising that we don't really look at the book that way or even what happened there that way, a lot of people. Um, and then now, at what happens after? Like it kind of focused on Nineveh, what happened to Jonah. The story really could just end there. Right. You know, if it was just a st- like somebody just wrote a story, it's a good, happy ending. Mm-hmm. But the story doesn't end there. God still is dealing with Jonah, because we'll see Jonah's heart is not right. And the book uh, ends with Jonah talking with God, God talking to Jonah. And the book ends with a question mark. Very interesting, I think, right? that it ends with a question mark. Seems to be meant for future generations to contemplate that question mm-hmm. for themselves. Right. So that's how it, that's how it ends. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's uh, let's have you. I'd encourage people to go back and listen to the sermons, listen to the podcast. Uh, let's have you read chapter four, and then we'll talk about. Okay. It. Let's throw that up on the screen. Jonah chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and attacked the plant. But when... Oh, no, I got messed up because I scrolled. God appointed a worm and attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he became faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? End of story. <clears throat> not quite the way that we like stories to end. Mm. It's not, there's not yeah. resolution. Right. Um, which one of my kids, I think it might have been, uh, I think it might have been Abigail. She was saying that she, would, she wishes that she knew what happens afterwards. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think everybody. I think, yeah, everyone. Everyone probably does. But I think um, I think the the existence of the book is testimony to what happens after. Right. I th- I think. I mean, obviously, we're we're just we're just making some assumptions. Uh huh. Um, but I I think that Jonah wrote the book. Well, I mean, you have to think if Jonah persists in this um, state that he's in. Till he died, I don't think he would have told anybody about all the stuff that happened, mm-hmm. and we would never, we would never know. Right. Which no one knows except mm-hmm. Jonah and God. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, probably you know a good logical inference that we can make is that we have the book, meaning that he told people what happened. Mm-hmm. Probably meaning that he his heart did change eventually, and he leaves it hanging there, so you can examine yourself. Mm-hmm. In the way he was forced to, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> so you began the the sermon with a uh, an illustration mm-hmm. uh, of Cat Von D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe maybe tell people who Cat Von D is, and then we can uh, we can maybe watch this video. George, you know we're <clears throat> we're getting up there in age. I don't know if you realize that. <sighs> don't I? Know so that. I realize people probably don't know who Cat Von D is because mm-hmm. yesterday I told you I was in. Uh, we're doing this new members class, and we have these early 20s uh, people in there. They didn't know what the Left Behind series was. I mean, that means that the the scourge has almost come to, <laughs> to an end. <laughs> <Yeah>, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, probably in reality. So I, I knew when I got up to open that probably a lot of people have no clue who, that, who this is. So Catherine Von Drakenberg doesn't quite have the same ring as Kat Von quite D. the name. Kavon D is a little better. Uh huh. If you're a celebrity, she's a celeb- celebrity tattoo artist. <clears throat> so she's kind of, I guess, world renowned for tattoos. So people who who do this, there's actually a tattoo artist in our area that's world renowned. Not as he's not famous, uh, but people from all over the world will fly in to get tattooed by him, and he'll go all over the world, and he mm. makes good money. Yeah, he makes big time money. She's a real artist, you know, and she seems to be like that, but more famous because there was a reality show called L.A. Inc., and that's where, I guess, her studio was at, and that made her famous. She's pretty gothic. Um, she's in that whole world, very mm-hmm. gothic, very dark, uh, macabre, <clears throat> and dabbled in pagan spiritism and witchcraft, uh, and... She's a pop culture like icon, you know, like 9.5 million followers on Instagram. And she recently converted, it would appear, um, converted to Christianity, posted her baptism online. Yeah, you want to watch it? Sure. Okay. Well, let's uh, see if we can switch over to. Yeah, I'll switch over to George's uh, okay. screen. All right. This it. is her Instagram page. And uh, here's the video that she posted. Oh, nope. No sound. <clears throat> Where'd it go? I don't know. Give it a pause. We just had the sound. Yeah, I don't know. Try now. There we go. Catherine von Rothenberg 
divine command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah. There we go. <clears throat> so, yeah. Responses to it were not great. Yeah, she uh, so she posted that on Instagram, and then she posted another video, uh, like a 12-minute long video, just talking about it, um, explaining that she's, she's not going to be like the spokesperson for Christianity because she doesn't feel equipped to do that. Um, she'll... She, she wants to share her testimony, uh, maybe do a, uh, do a podcast uh, interview. She's uh, friends with uh, Allie Beth Stuckey, yeah, and said maybe they'll maybe they'll sit down and yeah and talk about it, which is is uh, it's 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 pretty refreshing. I remember when Kanye uh, announced that he was a Christian, yeah, like he immediately like started a church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we saw where that where that went. But uh, she she doesn't want to go out and try to be like the the face of of Christianity because mm-hmm. she doesn't feel like she's she knows enough to do that. All right. Um, she doesn't go to a mega church. She goes to she she talked about her small Baptist church in Indiana. She said sometimes the attendance is as low as 12. Yeah. That's another <laughs> really radically different uh-huh. thing from right. uh, from some of these other celebrities who go to like these gigantic churches. Mm. Um, so it, it seems like she's um, sincere. It seems like she's legitimate. Yeah. Um, and again, we got to wait and see. Right. Right. That's why that's why we preach through the warning passages because Yeah. That's the same way for everybody. Right. I mean, when yeah, they yeah. when they get baptized, it's like yeah, and you have the, yeah, par- the parable of the sower. Uh huh. Right, right. And we see with Kanye, mm-hmm. he, he sprouted up quick and it appears at least uh, <clears throat> the cares of this world have mm-hmm. uprooted him. Right. Yeah. So um but you know it's a kind of a wait and see. Yeah. So that's that's what's so refreshing about her not wanting to be like I'm putting out an album about you know Christianity or, <laughs> right. or anything like that. Yeah, I'm starting my own my own congregation. Yeah, um, <clears throat> but her uh, the 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 reason why she made the Instagram video that she did is she was talking about how she was she was shocked that the most pushback she got was not from her atheist followers, but it was from professing Christians uh-huh. and um, questioning her sincerity, um, kind of acting like she should just immediately erase everything that she's ever done. Um, it's, <laughs> from what she said, it sounded like people were even suggesting that she should leave her husband. Yeah. He's he's still a musician yeah. in like dark, like dark goth uh-huh. music. Um it seems like people were were even criticizing her for staying with her unbelieving husband. Uh-huh. He, he hasn't made a profession of faith. Uh-huh. Um, I went on to uh, Protestia, which used to be Pulpit and Pen. Mm. Uh, they had an article 
talking about it. And uh, the article itself was just walking through her video, and there wasn't really any editorial comments. It was just, here's what she said, uh-huh. and which was surprising because it's protestia. Right. Uh, that could go either way. Um, but then I clicked on the comments. It's like, oh, there they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's> like, <there's, laughs> like people criticizing her for calling out Christians for being hateful, but they're <laughs> like, <laughs> completely self-aware. <laughs> <laughs> their own comments right um yeah so i mean we're on social media we're on we're on twitter mm-hmm. <laughs> we know exactly what she's talking about right mm-hmm. uh calling out somebody who wears black and has tattoos and we saw like her friends that she invited to her baptism like they all are covered in tattoos and they're all wearing black and and she she even calls out like I didn't know that there was a dress code for being a for being a Christian. Everyone everyone uh, you know people are just criticizing her and acting like she needs to start dressing completely different, like all these bright clothes and. So that was your so your your your. I noticed open, you're your, wearing a black jacket today, George. A little dark gray. Is there a problem? Dark gray. It's a Monday morning, Jay. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Is there something? <laughs> is there something wrong? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that was your opening. Your opening yeah. was the criticism that she said that she she was facing uh-huh. after converting to Christianity and getting baptized. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are a couple problems with all of the criticism that's I think lo- uh, lo- being leveled. I want to point it out is people people will conflate justification and sanctification, and it's as if like human standards which are imposed upon. I think the Bible uh, is that when a, someone becomes a Christian, they're just going to look like someone who's been a Christian for twenty-five years. Mm. That's a dangerous thing to do, right? Right. So now you're you're tampering with justification by faith alone, and you're making it into a works, a system of works. That's what you're doing. So, ju- so justification is a one-time declaration of not guilty, right? Right. Yeah, and, and so what we. What people want to see, though, is that well, you're not, and this is a very dangerous thing, and parents can do this with children, too. Parents do this with young children. Yeah. They want to see all of these signs of a legitimate conversion before they'll accept it. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not going to see that, Yeah. right? Um, especially in an adult. If, a, if someone's been a non-believer their entire life, sure, a lot of things might change <clears throat> immediately. Yeah. But there's a reason like that Jesus gives his command to make disciples baptize them and then to teach them all that I've commanded. Mm-hmm. So that ordering comes first. You're not looking to you know teach everybody all the commands of Jesus and hoping that they'll begin to live like a Christian and then you can declare them to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. It's got it all completely completely backwards right. and it, it tampered it. You're tampering with the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep that intact and understand that uh, God can save people in whatever state, and they're not going to look like you. They may not sound like a Christian at first, even. They're not, they're not going to know all the theology. They may not know any theology other than uh, come to Christ and be saved from your sins. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it. Right. So... We don't want to do that, but people definitely are doing that. <laughs> Have you seen the video of the guy who was uh, at his baptism? He was giving his testimony, and he, uh, oh, 
uh, he he used some profanity yeah. in the middle of his of his testimony, mm. like describing how his life was. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there there probably are professing Christians out there that would say, "Well, that guy obviously isn't a Christian because he right. he still uses cuss words." Right. And how and would it like that doesn't invalidate his conversion. It just means that he's a baby Christian. How would he even know? Right. Christians don't aren't to use profanity. Mm-hmm. Right. Do we think like God just like sticks a thumb drive into your brain and downloads the Bible? Right. So yeah. Well, uh, I've been I've been told that Calvinists are robots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even I mean, you've got people that they they've been living lives of sin. They're I mean, they're they are habitual sinners and um they're probably not going to immediately just be able to change every single habit. Yeah. Yeah, the, there are I mean all kinds of criticism from like her baptisms not legitimate because her hands weren't under the water. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it, this is logistical. Oh, we're know. talking about full immersion, Jay. Yeah. If it's not full immersion, it's not. It's not. It's not New Testament baptism. Well, you know, it's uh, it, this can be cured if you just have the person hold their own nose. Yeah. If they hold their nose, um, then it's all going under. Yeah. Then you can pull them up out by their arms. But yeah, you see in the video, she's kind of like holding his arms so they don't go under. My daughter's didn't go, her feet didn't go under. I told you that. She's so, uh-huh. she's so light. And when I baptized her, like she flo- was floaty and her feet floated up. So I guess technically at one point they were submerged. Yeah. And that's, then they, that's where you got to go. Uh, you have to go like. <laughs> and she got uh, upended. WWE on her and just yeah. like push her. Yeah. <laughs> So just all kinds of stuff, but really, I think really what it comes down to is um, people think God ought to operate in a certain way, mm-hmm. and when He operates outside of those of the, these paradigms we we put and impose upon Him, it makes people really uncomfortable. Right. So we first off, people don't even get excited when somebody gets saved, which annoys me to no end. Like I would like to see people clap. And show some excitement when somebody gets baptized. The angels are rejoicing, and yet we're sitting there like, "Oh, makes sense. A person got converted. Yeah, they're a sinner. They they look just like me, you know." So we uh, we don't even really have a good appreciation for God saving a sinner at all. But we kind of expect that He does save sinners that are like us, look like us. Uh, but when he steps outside of those parameters, it tends to make people uncomfortable, I think. And you can see that in the conversion of Paul. Very, very skeptical. The uh-huh. early church, very skeptical right. of him. Um, and that's still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people people don't like, I think it comes down to people don't like for God to be God. They will never say that out loud. They may not even they may not have even explored that in their own heart, but this is what we see going on here in the book of Jonah here at the end. Um, so God has done something, and Jonah does not like what happened. Did the Ninevites not cease being Ninevites when they converted? The, I mean, weren't they just yeah, yeah. weren't they just like all right, uh, I guess Israelites, we're all converted now. Everyone Israelites, take uh, no. the human skins down off the walls. <laughs> you know? 
Uh, clean up the the pile of skulls. No more skull decorations. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So mass conversion. Jonah is not happy with it. Mm-hmm. He's not happy at all. Right. That's that's where our story picks up. Right. Which is interesting. You you brought it out. Jonah believes in God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. How could you not <laughs> after after this? But he's he's an Israelite. He knows his he knows his his scriptures. He knows that God is sovereign. But then when God acts sovereignly in a way that Jonah doesn't want, mm-hmm. his response is one of anger. Yeah, I think that's maybe a a message that's here. <clears throat> the explicit message, I think, has to do with God's heart for the lost, um, and if we have the same heart. But beneath that is another lesson, a lesson that I think people need to know, because they're going to experience it, when if you believe in the sovereignty of God and things happen in, in your life that you don't you don't think they should have happened. Right. Like especially a catastrophic event or some some of some kind. Um if you know that things could have been different because God is sovereign, so he could have acted differently and he didn't, and you are not submissive to his will, um, then that's gonna really eat you alive. Mm. It's gonna it's gonna lead to not just discouragement, but to anger toward what happened, and it can lead to anger toward God. And I think it could take you to a really bad place, like Jonah's in. Uh, so we may not ever experience something like Jonah experienced, uh, but th- that's another under- underlying lesson that's here mm-hmm. for us to take away. Right. So yeah. Okay. All right. Well. Um, so. The question at the end really is the, I don't know, is it the point of the book? Like you're, I you're think le- maybe you're, le- you're, left, you're left with this question because it's a question not just for Jonah, it's for Israel, it's, it's for us, mm-hmm. right? I think it's probably the main, the main driving application. Mm-hmm. What are we to take away from this? Right. There's a lot of points in the book, uh, Salvation is of the Lord being the main one, mm-hmm. That's the main point of the book, but the main application then from that is, do you actually believe that? Yeah. Um, Because salvation belongs to the Lord, it's His, He may wield it however He wants, and are you on board with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So lots of of self-examination, right? Yeah. And so you you said this, there's three movements in the text that force us to this this Uh self-examination as we look at this question at the end yeah right and you got super creative i ha- i mean i was <laughs> i was impressed i was impressed is this what you learned at, uh, yeah, so this at, is what uh, i learned TMS. spent all my time uh, <laughs> training for so. uh jonah's anger jonah's prayer and god's answer yeah right yeah and i and i mm-hmm. did get a little creative just for philip just for my for my guy yeah because he he loves alliterations mm. so i tried to give him a little something okay but you can that'll help you remember it right yeah you know they're not they're not pointless to show that you're a little creative. It's kind of something like you'll remember Jonah's anger, Jonah's prayer, God's answer. Well, you can, it helps you can remember you, that. It helps you follow the the story. I mean, this is historical narrative. It's right. not um, it's not a Pauline epistle right. where you're just following like lo- a logical argument. You're following the plot of of this story, right? And so these are just helping us to move through the story, mm-hmm. right? That's right. All right, well, let's look at uh, let's look at Jonah's anger in verse one. Yeah, <clears throat> such a 
it is such an odd response <laughs> after everything that that Jonah's been through, after everything that God has done. Um, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, this verse is just it, it's it's so outlandish. <laughs> Yeah, you. I mean, you think of the possible responses. One could be uh, could be happiness and uh-huh. joy. Yeah. Another could be pride, though. I mean, you think like I'm the most successful preacher in the history of the world. Yeah. <laughs> nope. No, and even and even to this day, like who has had such a, a success as that? I mean, mm-hmm. not even George Whitfield can can right. can do that, and he preached a. At one point, it said every adult in the colonies, the U.S. colonies, heard him preach, which is insane to think about. Mm-hmm. But he w- it was a phenomenon. Like right. George Whitfield came to town, mm-hmm. the town's going to empty right. to go hear him preach. Yeah, And there were tons of conversions. <clears throat> and I also find interesting that he had no idea how many. Mm-hmm. There's He didn't give any, uh, raise the hands and let me count you. Right. You know, but... Even Billy Graham, I, I think we opened with him one time. Yep. He can't, he's he never experienced anything like this, right? And this, so it's not even pride; yeah. it's just anger. I think they experienced something like this at Falls Creek every summer, but I could, <laughs> I'll have to go back and look at the numbers uh, that they reported. I need a I need a, bu- a thing for that. What can I get? Nope. There we go. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish the ESV had had not not put the literal reading in a footnote. I wish they would have just kept it in the text. Yeah. Uh, I know the LSB does it. I I would think maybe the New American Standard keeps it in here that that this thing was exceedingly evil <laughs> to it. Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, the, the ESV reads it it displeased Jonah exceedingly. I don't I don't think that carries the weight of right, what the text right, right. actually says. He hates what God has done. It's 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 evil to him. Yeah, it's a, the literal is it was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned, and he burned with anger. So Jonah literally hated what God did. That's yeah. the it, but it displeased. Right, right. The it is the mass <clears throat> conversion of these people. It Jonah thought God was wrong for what he did, mm-hmm. and it made him angry. He's angry at God for what he did. Yeah, and that is a shocking thing to think about if you just sit and think about it. It's a, uh, it's an accusation to that God is unjust. He's not a just God, right? He's angry about what happened. So yeah, I can imagine that he would be um, so angry at this because he knows God is sovereign and He saves this city, and He's been preaching in Samaria for who knows how long, and mm-hmm. God is still sovereign and hasn't. Right. Yeah. The same time all of this is going on, <clears throat> not just him, there are other prophets preaching, and Israel's not, they're not listening and repenting. Mm-hmm. And you may forget, we may think, oh, Israel's God's people, but Israel has had very dark times, and this is one of those times. Mm-hmm. They look just like the nations that are around them. Yeah, um, what is it, Jeroboam II is the king? He's not a good king. Right. Uh, is the northern kingdom didn't really have any good kings. They all they all were evil. Right. Yeah. Um yeah. So they're involved, I mean, at various times in their history, they're in, involved in the same type of child sacrifice as the nations, the same type of sexual immorality, and they're engaged in idolatry obviously. And uh yeah. and they've had all this revelation from God. Mm-hmm. So they should know their right from their left as 
we'll get into that, but they, uh, and they, God sent them preachers and they're not listening and, and then God sends, uh, sends them one preacher and everyone repents right. and believes. Yeah. Yeah. God shows them mercy. And so instead of getting wrath poured out upon <clears throat> them, they get grace. Grace is poured out upon them. And, uh, yeah. And so his response is, he's, he's angry. Yeah. Yeah. Exceedingly angry. And we can we can uh, experience the same sort of anger uh-huh. uh, when God, when especially those of us who have high views of God's sovereignty, right? Uh, we know that God can do something and He doesn't, mm-hmm. or He does it over here. He doesn't do it here, right? Right. Um, I will we'll get into like China. Uh, you brought up China uh, yeah. in, the ne- in the next uh, yeah. in the next point, but we we can think of how the church is growing in places like China or Iran, and then we look at America, and it seems like every time you uh, every time you go online, you uh, see someone new deconstructing. Yeah, um, like the apo- the apostasy here in the American church is growing. Right. While the spread of the gospel seems in other countries, even hostile countries, to be growing. Yeah. And I, we know that it's God's sovereignty that's that's accomplishing yeah, this. Yeah, I read a stat that only 10% of Christians live in America. Mm. We definitely don't think that's the case. Wow, yeah. Yeah. So we're in the minority in the mm-hmm. world. It's right. It's moved south and east. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I So two, two kind of illustrations... To show like the danger of of uh, believing in the sovereignty of God, things going not like you want them to go, and then a response of, of anger. I think most people can identify with that if they're honest. Most people don't want to admit that they've been angry with God in their life before, but you know, just live a little bit longer, right? And you probably will. Um, but I had a uh, professor in this is in my in when I was at uh, Cameron. So in my undergrad, a long time ago, he was obviously very hostile to Christianity and didn't know why, uh, but it was obvious. It was almost every class, some shot you know, across the bow at Christians. And then I came to find out, I found out that his son uh, was in an accident and died, and that's when, the, that's when it happened. Mm. That's when it all happened. For him, so um, he ended up. You know, it's a, usually a profession of non-belief. People fall into atheism, but it's really what it is. I think atheism. Most atheists, their main problem is not that there's enough evidence. Their main problem is that uh, they, everyone, naturally will believe in the sovereignty of God. Every person. That's why. It's why even an atheist will pray at a foxhole. Like why? Why is that a thing? Like why? Why is that a thing? There are no atheists in foxholes. Well, it's because everybody knows that God is sovereign. Not only does everyone know there is a God, but they know He's sovereign. And so, atheists can see uh, things could be different, and they're not, and they actually hate God for it, and they mask that hatred of God in atheism. Yeah. Right. So you know, I mean, if you have kids, you might turn off the thing right now because. Christmas is coming, but you know I don't spend a lot of time in my efforts to pr- to prove to everyone that Santa Claus isn't real. 
You know what I'm saying? I knew that was coming, Jay. Is, uh, when you when you said, you know, if you have kids, maybe, you know, yeah. not uh, listen, I thought you were going to bring up like uh <laughs> like a really dark example. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'm not a uh you know, I don't I don't write books and and travel around and give lectures about how stupid it is to believe in Santa Claus. But yet that's what atheists do. Right. Um because they they hate God. Right. They're angry with him. They hate him. They know the world could be different. They know people could never have cancer. They know genocides. There could God could have made a world where that never happened. Yeah, they know all these things. Right? It would seem like atheists have a better theology of God's sovereignty than a lot of professing Christians do sometimes. Because right. I've heard I've heard professing Christians say, "Well, God didn't do that. That was you know right. that God didn't want that to happen. Right. The devil did that, or or so, you know so, something along those lines." Yes, and uh, so and then another another illustration is, and I can't remember the name of this book, but I read it back when I was doing my uh, my thesis on the problem of evil. It's a New York Times bestseller, so I had all these books that my advisor made me read. I read way more because um, he's like the gravity of this. You just need to read like you're getting a PhD. So I was like, oh great, because that's not what I'm getting, but and I'm not going to get credit for it. But okay, let's do this. <coughs> <clears throat> One of them was uh, it's a New York Times bestseller written by a Jewish man, who's a rabbi. His son died, mm-hmm. so same scenario, right? right? And instead of falling into that type of unbelief, what he did is he really just def- redefined his theology of who God was. He mm-hmm. became an open theist. Yeah, became an open theist, and kind of the idea is that God really he suffers with us mm-hmm. in right. this world. God is suffering along with us, and He's trying to work. Uh, with the tools at his disposal, uh, the world to the best ends possible. Right. Uh, but the comfort we can have is that God suffers with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just created a different God. Yeah. A God that a God that's not sorry. It's God. It's not in control. Cannot stop accidents. Cannot stop these things that we see in the world, which causes pain. And um, as I said, like not even atheists fall into that <clears throat> trap. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So open theism. Uh, people might not work through their theology and come to that point where they even know or can label what they're believing, but I think it's a lot more widespread than than we think. Mm. People have an unbiblical idea about God. Yeah, I don't really know how that is a great comfort at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, something really bad happens. Well, uh, God wasn't uh, behind this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so he's doing the best he can. I, I don't see how that's. I don't see how you can get comfort from that. But mm-hmm. um, uh, so how how do we avoid becoming like Jonah when God sovereignly does something that we we know that he could have it could have been different. Yeah, like especially when you know uh, think of uh, a family member or friend getting sick or a child dying, and we know that. God could have sovereignly ordained that this be different. Uh-huh. How do we how do we avoid getting angry? <clears throat> I don't know if there's a way to avoid getting angry, but I think there's a way out. There's a way out of it. There may be a, a little bit of preventative measures that can be taken, but I I just think, you know, I'm simple, you know, I know that I like simple outlines and I like simple remedies. That's how I always describe you to people who have never met you before. Yeah. It's just just simple guy. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, Jesus ta- taught his disciples to pray. That mm-hmm. He asked them, "How do we pray?" Right. 
and Jesus, who is God in the flesh, <clears throat> says, you should pray like this. And he gives what we call the Lord's Prayer, which really is, I guess it's fine calling it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really his disciples' prayer. It's how he wants his people to pray. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, depending on how you want to translate that. But we don't, uh, I think, I think, I think maybe Protestants, Catholics can get a hard time for their like <clears throat> traditional prayers, praying mm-hmm. the Lord's Prayer. They've got their prayers, rightly, we should criticize their prayers to Mary and stuff. But we, I think we can forget the, uh, the benefit of having routines. So I think it's probably a wise thing when you wake up in the morning to be the, this the first thing you do. Don't turn on your phone. Maybe pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Get you ready for the day. Go to bed. Pray the Lord's Prayer again. So you're literally praying that God's will is done on the earth. I was just uh, flipping through the Didache. Have you ever read the Didache? Mm-hmm. The early, early second century kind of a handbook right. for how Christians are supposed to... How do they say you should be baptized, George? In running water. In immersion, by immersion. Yeah. Um, we're not talking about that, though, James. I know, stop, I just had to throw that to, in there. Stop, I gotta, stop tempting me with these. I got to throw my punches when I get stop, chances stop to do Stop tempting them. me. Um, and uh, what was I talking about? Oh, the yes, Didache, so I was yeah. talking about the Didache and, and the Lord's Prayer. They actually instruct uh, believers to pray it three times a day. Okay. Even better. It's like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <clears throat> yeah. So you're praying, and and I think what you'll see is as you as you're praying that you, know, you can p- pray the little literal words that are printed in the Bible, or you can pray the same things that are there in the Bible. You're praying for for God's will to be done. So what what'll happen is if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit, um, God's not going to change His will, right? But you're, He'll change your will. Mm-hmm. So your will will become more right. aligned. Right. The Spirit will align your will with God's will, and then that can give you peace. Mm -hmm. You might not come to the point where you're okay with everything that happened, but you'll be finally at peace with what happened. Mm. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, so Jonah's anger, that's verse 1. Now verses 2 through 3, Jonah prays. Yeah, Jonah prays, not the Lord's Prayer. This is is, um, supposed to be, I think, Parallel to his earlier prayer, uh-huh. right? The story, the story parallels yeah, yeah. as it goes through. So he's prayed in chapter two. He's going to pray here in chapter four, mm-hmm. but they're massively different. Yeah, and the, the parallelism is there. It's apparent. So Jonah is one who's been rescued. He's been rescued from literally the gates of hell, and through this miraculous intervention of God, God has brought his life up from the pit. He declares salvation is of the Lord, mm. and it's beautiful. And then he, it's a prayer of thanksgiving, and he makes promises to God that he'll again sacrifice, and he makes vows similar to what the pagans did on the boat. And uh, that's his response to his own divine rescue, but then the Ninevites received the same thing on a ma- on a massive scale mm-hmm. that the grace of God is poured out salvation is of the Lord and now Jonah his prayers not it's completely the opposite right 
right? I mean, we could think of how he he thanks God that he brought up his life from the pit. Well, he's he's brought up all these Ninevites' lives up from the pit, uh-huh. and um, yeah, Jonah gets angry at him, mm-hmm. angry enough to die. <laughs> he's ready. To, he's ready for God to kill him, right? Yeah, uh, I right. like how this one commentator <clears throat> he put that he uh, see if I can even find it in my notes. Where is my? There we go. He says Jonah. He's talking about Jonah's irony and hypocrisy. Jonah is a man of irony. He fled from the Lord in chapter one, only to lament being banished from the Lord in chapter two. Remember that. And then in chapter uh-huh. two, he praises God for saving his life, only to pray in chapter four for God to take his life. <laughs> he tests God to kill him. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's such a, a a crazy swing. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the point, is to reveal, I mean, Jonah's the one outing himself here, he's he's kind of showing the world how much of a hypocrite he is, that he'll, when he, when he experiences the grace of God, it's great, God's worthy to be praised, but when God does the same thing, acts in a different way, uh, Jonah's ready for God to kill him, just get it over with, get me out of here. Um, and it's really also kind of crazy to think about this. In Jonah's prayer, um, he prays well-known verses of the Bible which capture God's character and nature, which Mm -hmm. God revealed to his his people through Moses. He said, this is why I fled. I knew you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Mm. So he prays these attributes of God, which God revealed to Moses um, when he was getting the tablets for the second time. So remember, the first time he got the tablets, he came down from the mountain, and what did he discover? Uh, they're engaged in idolatry. They're already in that short time. I saw this really funny clip somebody made. I think it was an Instagram post. You know, have you seen the Prince of Egypt? I have. It's this guy. He's watching the Prince of. He's smiling, and you know, it's got that awesome music mm-hmm. like "Deliver Us." I'm not going to sing it, but it's, <laughs> it's a catchy tune. Yeah, yeah. It's a good program. Uh-huh. And so Moses is coming down, he's got the tablets, and it's like, deliver us. And then the guy's like, when you realize Moses, <clears throat> that scene, the scene at the end of it is him coming down to the people worshiping a calf. Mm-hmm. Right. And the movie just ends. Yeah. On, on the high note. <laughs> it ends on a high note right there. <laughs> yeah. So he gets angry and he hurls those tablets, they break. Um, right. And, you know, God's. He threatens to uh, destroy the people, and Moses is interceding, and uh, Moses says, just kill me, mm-hmm. just blot my name out from your book. Right. It very, it's very much the polar opposite of Jonah. Jonah's ready to die because God has spared and shown, shown his grace. But the second time he gets these tablets, uh, God reveals himself. He passes before Moses, and he reveals himself. The same things that Jonah prays here. Mm-hmm. God's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding steadfast love yep. and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And so these are the these are God's attributes. Um, they're not components of who he who he is. Right? We're not we're not building God up like connecting Legos and then we formed the formed God. They are they are his very nature and essence. Right? They are who he is through and through. They're his very being. And Jonah prays God's attributes to him not as a really as a prayer of thanksgiving and worship, but he's actually accusing God by his own attributes. Yeah, he's like throwing it in his face. Yeah. 
I knew that this was what you were going to do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. He, he hurls he hurls his <clears throat> own very essence back at him as an accusation. Mm. Um not his worship. And it really reveals the heart the heart of the problem here is that Jonah's will is completely opposed to God's will. It's so wild. You uh you read Jeremiah and Jeremiah has this same just why was I ever born? Yeah. Just take my life. Uh-huh. And it's because Israel won't repent. Right. And here is this entire city of pagans that have repented. And Jonah prays the same <laughs> the same thing. He yeah. wants to die because they've they've repented. Mm-hmm. That's just wild. Yeah. Yeah. It really and it's is. because he's a racist. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and that's really uh I mean you can you can peruse if you'd like. Um I told you last week I looked at some some sermons on Jonah and uh, how quickly people will import onto the text of Jonah really these, uh, I think, modern, uh, uh, well, they are, they flow out of modernity, mm-hmm. but they'll, they'll just import all of these on the text that like Jonah was a racist, Jonah was a bigot, and uh, my favorite, George, Jonah's guilty of othering people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, it's wild how um, how Christian preachers will just pick up the vernacular of secular right. pagans uh-huh. and just just use it in their sermons. Right, like this yeah. vocabulary is is completely unbiblical. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, for one, if we just if we're just looking at the text of Scripture, there are only two worlds in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, the Jewish world, mm-hmm. and there's the entire pagan world right. of Gentiles. Yeah. And that's everybody, whether you're black or you're white or you're uh, Asian descent, you're pagan. Right. You're Gentile. Um, so it's not even based off of race. Mm-hmm. So you, you're step, you've got to first get inside that paradigm right. to even understand anything that's going on. But yeah, that's when they'll, you know, they'll say, uh, Jonah was a racist and, uh, you know, how have you been a racist? How... <laughs> Jonah othered people. Uh, how have you, who have you othered, George? Mm-hmm. Or do you other the poor? Yeah. Do you have no care or regard for the poor? Do you have no care or regard for the uh, the immigrants coming across the southern border? Have you othered those people because you're a bigot? Right. That's the kind of preaching that we get today. Right. Um, so don't be like Jonah. Don't be a racist. Don't be a bigot. You mm-hmm. can do it. You can, you can do it. Yeah, I know you were born white. I know you were born right, white, and from the time of your birth, yeah, uh, you've been infused with racism toward everyone. Mm-hmm. But you too can repent of your whiteness, right? Divest yourself, right? Um, that's uh, I don't know. That's what's going on here at all. Okay. Yeah. So what is going I, on? I, you know, <clears throat> of course, I could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I think Jonah's just a, he's a good Jew. Jonah's a proud Jewish nationalist. Okay. Um, he's, is that the precursor to Christian nationalism? Yeah. Jay? It, I guess, apparently it is. Okay. He's, uh, he's a good, uh, he's a good citizen. He, he loves his people. I think the real I've problem been to, I've is... Been, I've been told, Jay, that that's, that that's sinful for you well, it definitely to, can uh, be. To, it to definitely can love, be. To love your, to love your nation. Well, it can be, but I think it's also unnatural to not love your own people. Like that's crazy. Like have have we have we not ever really thought about like World War Two? Mm-hmm. 
it would be completely unnatural, right, for a Christian living in Italy to not fight for his country. Mm. How preposterous and insane, right? Um, or any other nation. The Christians that are born, they're born and raised here, and they want to they want to join the military, they're willing to fight and die for their country. So are Christians in other nations. So that's a natural thing. Uh, but I'd say probably a good thing, probably a good thing. Um, living in a fallen world makes that very complex and complicated, but uh, I'm not surprised that he's this way. There's clues in the text, too, I think. Uh, I don't want to make too much of it, but when the pagans are kind of questioning Jonah with the bombardment of their questions, they're really their question is, who's your God, what'd you do? To make him mad, right? And he answers first that he's a Hebrew, and I think that's telling. He could have said, "I worship Yahweh, and I'm a prophet in rebellion against Him." He doesn't say that. He says, "I'm a Hebrew." Um, the Jewish people have a very strong pride in their nationality, and I think Jonah does too. Um, and I think he doesn't want Nineveh to repent, not because they're—I mean, they, they probably look like Jewish people. I mean, like, how different can you look? You're five. We're talking about 500 miles. Yeah. They probably looked similar, would be my guess. I mean, maybe maybe the Ninevites have a, a little more influence from, like, the European descent. I don't know at the time. But um, this isn't, like, modern racism. Mm-hmm. It's really like a war of, a war of nations, more right. of what's going on. So we hinted at it before. I think what Jonah knows is that if God is merciful to them and he blesses this nation, uh, what's going to happen to Israel? Because Israel will not repent. Mm. They're, they're not as barbaric. I, I don't think they, they definitely could be at times, but they're not as barbaric and violent. They're not known for that type of level of violence as the Ninevites, but they're, they're in, involved in idolatry and all kinds of immorality, and they're refusing to repent. He he knows all of that. He's a prophet of Israel. That's where he just was at. Yeah. And so what will happen if God blesses this this rising superpower who is going to be an existential threat to their existence? If God blesses that people, and he knows also the curses, that the covenant curses. There's the covenant right. blessings, the covenant curses, and God's told <clears throat> them he would do this. Right. So he's a man that's caught between... Uh, wanting to protect his people and not let them be taken into captivity, and try a man who wants to obey God, mm. and it and it seems that Jonah has chosen his people over his God, so he's a good Jew. He's just not a good follower of Yahweh. Mm. Uh, I think that's more of what's going on here in the text. Um, it's not it's not racism. It's more that he's just a he's a good Jew, um, and. The application of this, we might think, well, there's there's no application. But I think there is some, right? Um, when good Americans, even Christian Americans, who love their country, when they wish for the downfall of other nations, is that racism? I don't think so. Right. Right. So, uh, no. Um, have, have you ever thought about how people view China because like, China is, if you look at the way the world is like shaping, it seems that within at least the next 25 years, it could be even 
you know, because of their population collapse that's about to happen. It could be sooner, but it seems like we're we're on we're poised for like World War Three, and it will be us versus China. It won't be us versus Russia, right? That that whole deal there with the nuclear weapons, like that, scares us all, and we think it's Russia all the time. Remember, Trump got the when he was running the first time, he was like, they're like, "Who's the greatest threat?" He's like China, and everybody laughed at him. They mm. thought he was like stupid, stupid yeah. politician. But he understood all of the background stuff that's going on as far as uh, economics, like strategic materials that are only, can only be found there. Like, right? Like we've been we've been led by stupid people for fifty years. Like we don't even have refineries here to make the things that go into our phones, mm-hmm. the materials that we need. <laughs> right. We're dependent upon them for all the stuff. Mm-hmm. It was strategically short-sighted <clears throat> and really dumb. And so the world is shaping up for a massive conflict, a huge one that like maybe even our children will be drafted into and fight in, and maybe some of them even die in. So Christians can pray for the destruction of China so that their nation will be spared and could want that. But then we forget that there are more Christians alive in China today than there are people in the entire United States. Right. And so we can quickly fall into this type of of love for one's country above the love of God's will being done mm-hmm. uh, in the earth if if we're not careful. Right. I my wife was uh, she she mentioned this. We're seeing this with the conflict in Israel right now. Mm-hmm. Like w- Christians are are showing support for Israel. Mm-hmm. And I think they're forgetting that there are Christian Palestinians. Like their their preference is for the nation of Israel over the Christians in both places. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we do we we see this um, kind of disregard for what is God's will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and who who should who should we be praying for? <laughs> who should right. we be praying for? Who should we be? Who should we as Christians be supporting? Right. It should be other Christians, right? Should be other Christians first, yeah. And we can unite with other nations mm-hmm. that are obviously not Christian, like Israel, right? Uh, where Christianity is like still illegal. You can't proselytize there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can unite with them in their fight against terrorism because we can't live in a world where terrorists are running around, right? Um, but yeah, we are, we kind of show that the same truth which is going on with Jonah still still is there even if we can't articulate it it's still there in our own heart so yeah it's a t- i mean the world is the world is not this nice little neat con like place right like so like Drake wants to go in the military wants to fly apaches and i tell him like are you ready to fight in a in a world war you know are you ready to to kill people are you ready to die Angie's not ready for that, right? But I'm already getting myself ready for that because it's a reality. Mm-hmm. This is the world we live in. Um, it's a sad reality. But if God were to bring a mass revival to China, which He could do, and they would become the center of Christianity itself, right? Would I pray for their destruction so that my children would be spared? Mm. You know what I mean? We we like to think of America as the chosen, the chosen nation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that it's been expressed by many people that America is, is in a covenant with God. Um, this goes all the way back to like the, the Mayflower compact and, uh-huh. and things like that. 
um, and we we think that we're on we're the good guys. But if we take an honest look at our nation, we're the bad guys. Like we murder babies. Uh, our sexual perversion is just outrageous. Um, we're we are we are the Ninevites, right? And we're kind of in that same that same place that Jonah is. Uh-huh. Like if God blesses some other nation to take us out because we're wicked, um, how are we going to respond? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The world is not what you thought it was when you were a teenager. <laughs> right. Um, so I was my world when I was a teenager, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, <clears throat> there's that going on with with Jonah. Mm-hmm. You should see the conversion of Nineveh in that kind of like, I guess, political dynamic yeah. that he's worried about what will happen to his people if this happens, and he knows that that it can happen. Mm-hmm. And so he tells God, "I knew, I knew this. This is why I ran, right? Because I knew you, that you would do this." Yeah, and he's forgotten the purpose of Israel. Mm-hmm. He he he's making Israel as the end. Right. Like this this nation is the end of all of God's purposes. Yeah. Destroy all the Gentiles. Only the Jews remain. Right. And that's not the purpose. All the way back to Abraham. I mean, going all the way back to Genesis chapter twelve, the the promises are that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in Abraham's seed. Right. And Jonah, and not just him, but the nation as a whole, has right. forgotten what God's purpose is. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of, I picked out three things. There might have been more <clears throat> I could, we could brainstorm and think of, but Jesus, he encounters people who really are like Jonah in his ministry. So Jonah, he is like a representative of the nation as a whole. And really, the same kind of heart still lives in Jews that even Jesus encounters when he comes preaching to them. They believe they had an exclusive claim to God, Um, and as you hinted at, even though God told them his purposes for them was to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and that his promise to Abraham included all the nations, and that's God's heart, that reveals God's heart, that through them, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Mm. And because God chose them, they believed that because of their bloodline, they would always be right with God, uh, because Abraham is their father. This is the claim made when when Jesus is teaching um, that and if anyone sins, they are a slave of sin. That's what Jesus says. And But if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Beautiful. And the response to that is, we've never been enslaved to anyone which is crazy because they literally have. Uh, <laughs> I just want to think that in God's God's uh, you know irony that like a centurion walked by at the. <laughs> he gave like, the like, he, <laughs> he gave that puppet side <laughs> side eye meme. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, it's like and, what's that? What's that barracks that's overlooking the temple? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've never been enslaved to anyone. We have Abraham as our father. Yeah, and and Jesus says Abraham's not your father. If he, if he were, you do the works Abraham did. Uh, Satan is your father. Yeah, Satan is your father. So, George, is that is that uh, 
Is that anti-Jewish? It might be anti-Semitic. Yeah. <laughs> the words of Jesus. So, yeah. and the reason is because they're rejecting. <clears throat> the word of the Lord appeared to Abraham, believed him, was justified by faith. The word of the Lord appeared to them yeah. in the flesh, and they're rejecting him. Mm-hmm. Um, because of these truths, they, they really had lost a heart for people that did not know Yahweh. Mm. That, I think, is really what's going on, and that's what's going on here with Jonah. Yeah. They forgot the purpose of their election was to make God's glory known through the earth, and uh, they lost. They completely lost a heart for people who did not know God. Mm. Yeah, as uh, I see, I see Christians posting all these things about you know the Jews are God's chosen people, and we need to stand with Israel. And mm. and uh, I I I was just thinking about it. I was thinking about Paul's words in First Thessalonians, which I think applies back to. I mean, it's been going on all the way back to Jonah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul writing to the Thessalon- Thessalonian Christians. He says, uh, you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. You see how uh, Paul goes to a synagogue and he mm-hmm. preaches to the Jews, and some believe, and the rest reject it. And then he goes to the Gentiles, and that's what really stirs up the unbelieving Jews to violence. Mm. Is Paul is saying that they they oppose all mankind because they don't want the gospel to go to the Gentiles, so that the Gentiles will be saved. Mm. They reject it, and they want to keep the Gentiles from believing, also. Mm-hmm. And um, that's. That's a that's that's a terrible indictment against the the people of Israel, mm-hmm. and I, I just think to myself, what what has changed in two thousand years? Mm-hmm. Like you said, it's it's illegal to proselytize in Israel. Mm-hmm. Like they still reject the gospel, and they still don't want other people to hear it and be saved. Right, and that's yeah. that's Jonah. He. He hates that Israel is rejecting the word of the Lord, and he doesn't want the he doesn't want the Ninevites to hear it and be right. saved either. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's so angry that he wants to die. Um, Jonah is just re- he's revealing how much his heart is not like his God's mm. heart, and his will is opposed to God's will. And I think really what you see is that Jonah is the polar opposite of Jesus. I was really disappointed in your uh, your illustration, Jay. You didn't you didn't like the you reverse the, flash. You used the reverse flash. You should have used Bizarro Superman. I thought about it, but I thought I might have to do too much explaining. Oh yeah, who Bizarro is? Yeah, people know who Bizarro he's is. The, he's reverse Superman. He he is reverse. He's Superman. like the opposite of. Of Superman, yeah, yeah, he is. But it's a strange. He's strange though, because he's like a zombie. He is strange. Yeah. yeah, he is strange. But he's got like a backward S on uh-huh. his on his chest. Yeah, Jonah is bizarro Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, you can see. I I brought up you know King Saul and King David. They're really the polar opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is the exact polar opposite of Jonah. Mm. Jonah. Would he would rather die than see the Ninevites convert to see 
to see people come to repentance and faith. It, but Jesus, <clears throat> who is also prophet from Galilee, mm. Jesus would die. Right. It was his will to willingly die so that people could come to repentance and faith. Right. So they're the complete opposite of each other. Complete opposite contrast that's going on here. Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. Mm. So um, I found that to be, to me, um, very encouraging and refreshing and and helpful yeah. uh, to see. Because you always wonder, like, how you know, how can I get to Christ from this passage? This is a weird passage at the end, and I think that's what's obvious that's going on here. Right? Yeah, Jonah would have hated to see us converted, but it's because Jesus died uh-huh. uh, so that the Gentiles might be brought in. Yeah, he even says it in John chapter ten. He's got sheep in another fold that he's. He's got to bring in. Uh huh. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Yep. So that's it. That's Jonah's. That's really Jonah's prayer. Okay. Is that he would die, because um, he hates. You know, I hate what I hate what you did. Mm-hmm. Please kill me now. Right. So I don't have to see. So I don't have to see. Jonah is this. not. Jonah is not. Uh, he's not putting on a good face here. He's not. <laughs> he's not coming across very well. Yeah. yeah. All right, but we got God's answer, and that's the uh, that's the bulk of. Uh, this uh, this chapter is God's answer to Jonah, and yeah. we see it beginning in verse four. Yeah, yeah. So God God question God begins a questioning of him, and I think it's good to to look at this passage as a uh, you know Jonah prayed those the God's attributes at him as an accusation, but really what you see is God uh, being God to Jonah again. So you know we we look at Jonah's prayer and we um, it's it's kind of scandalizing that he would talk to God this way. Uh-huh. But I, I think what we see through the prophets is that they're really honest with God. I think yeah. we're I think we're really reserved and and um uh really cautious in our prayer life. Um I I I mean God doesn't strike Jonah dead right here. I I, I think it's I don't I know that God at, strikes at anyone least, dead for yeah. talking to him. I think it's at least a, their I mean we see we see Habakkuk Habakkuk talks yeah. really plainly to God. Uh-huh. Jeremiah talks very plainly to God. Uh, Elijah. Um, but I think at least it's it's kind of a model for how we can pray. We don't have to be reserved. God already knows <laughs> what's going on in our hearts and our minds. We can talk to him yeah, uh, because he is a God who hears. Yeah. He, at least he's talking to God. Mm-hmm. Right? right. If you're still talking to God, you haven't apostatized. Right. So... Yeah. And that is one positive takeaway. Mm. So, but what you don't see God is rebuking him, mm-hmm. destroying him on the spot. He doesn't disintegrate. The earth doesn't open up and swallow him whole. You know, all these things that we think he's got coming. God's merciful and gracious. I mean, if he's Slow- the, if he's the representative of Israel, you would think that the story would end with, <laughs> <laughs> with him right. dying. Right. Yeah. But God, God demonstrates here again His grace and His, His, uh, His has said His how He how slow to anger He is, very right. slow to anger, very much not like us. And so the this end of the story is a series of questions from God, coupled with providential means that God uses to place Jonah in a situation where he can come to the place where he really is forced to examine his own heart. And that's how the questioning begins in verse four, to take away Jonah's 
focus on the external of what's going on out there and to force him to examine what's going on in his own in his own heart with verses four and five all all god says is do you do well to be angry and then verse five jonah goes out of the city he builds himself a little little booth and sits mm-hmm. down to watch what happens do you think jonah may may be interpreting god's question as i'm still going to destroy the city i mean why why does he go and sit outside the city to see what's going to happen when he's already said i knew that's what this is what you're going to do mm-hmm so maybe, maybe in this speculation, right? Maybe mm-hmm. right. Uh, he's there. He observes the massive repentance that's mm-hmm. occurred, and he goes outside the city because maybe the forty days hasn't passed yet. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. So he's waiting to see. Well, maybe we'll see if their repentance lasts. Mm. If they make it forty days, yeah. if God actually does relent, and we'll see what happens. Mm. And but he's not just waiting to see what happens. He's hoping, <laughs> he's right. hoping that God will destroy them. Uh-huh. And he he does. Which do that. again, I mean, you've got the prophet of God. He's he's like grabbing his box of popcorn to <laughs> right. to watch the show. Right. Like he's showing true disregard for the people of Nineveh. Uh huh. He 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 would be entertained to watch uh, Nineveh go up like Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh huh. Yeah. So that's. He goes out, builds a little booth, a little makeshift booth, gives him some shade. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then God appoints a plant, and the plant grows up and gives him even more shade. Um, it's interesting, it says, uh, to save him from his discomfort. But there's likely a play on words going on, because the discomfort is the word evil. Mm-hmm. So to save Jonah from his evil, evil, the word for evil can mean moral evil, or it can mo- mean things like discomfort or calamity, things like that. But here it appears maybe a double entendre mm. is, is going on, where the circumstances and the questioning of God are meant to save Jonah from his evil, mm-hmm. the evil that's in his heart, the right. evil that would accuse God of evil for being God. Yeah, And that's kind of the line of questioning as it unfolds in the circumstances. So he points that plant, plant grows up, gives him shade, but then... Uh, the next day, God appoints a worm, um, which is an amazing, amazing uh, text that God appoints a worm, mm. um, because we we are more prone to like the sovereignty of God over big things and nations and stuff like that, but we forget God is God of also God. He's the God of worms, right? And, and so God appoints a worm. The worm eats the plant, attacks the plant, that's what the text says. Attacks the plant, the plant dies. So the plant appears in a day, is gone the next day. And, uh, and, and, and not just that, then God appoints a scorching east wind to, to beat down on the head of Jonah. And uh, so Jonah is beyond uncomfortable now. And he's exceedingly angry again, and he tells God anger enough to, to die. And so God questions him then again. You, you would think that spending three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish might put his discomfort in perspective. <laughs> Maybe. But, um, he's pretty childish. Yeah. Well, we know because his, his anger is really not directed at these circumstances. Right. They're really directed at God right? because of what he's done. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how God's questioning is leading up to that question. So mm-hmm. do you do, do well to be angry at this plant? You didn't do anything for it. You didn't plant it. You didn't cause it to grow. 
came in a day, it was gone in a day. It's an inanimate object. Um, but also, jumped ahead, Jonah is, again, very happy when God blesses him with the plant. <laughs> yeah. So reveals again, Jonah is happy when God is gracious to him, mm. but he's not happy when he's gracious to other people. And he's probably misinterpreting what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Like the plant coming up, he's probably interpreting it as, oh, God's showing me favor. Right. Yeah. Uh, instead of God saving me from my evil. Mm-hmm. Interesting, if, if God works scenarios like this, just kind of think <clears throat> through the way these things happen. The plant comes, it's as if the blessing of God comes into your life and you experience good things. Mm-hmm. But then that's removed, which kind of takes him back to a place of neutrality, I would say, because he already has some shade from the thing he made. Um, so God removes that. But then God appoints a disaster in right. his life, a scorching east wind. Mm-hmm. Some people say this, these winds can blow up to 70 miles an hour. I mean, I've experienced those type of winds over there in Iraq, similar to what we experience in Oklahoma, though the wind usually doesn't blow like 70 miles an hour, but we get like a 40-mile-an-hour wind in in August, and it's terrible mm-hmm. outside. Right, so blessing comes. Oh, that's great. God removes that blessing, kind of like, I'm neutral, you know, it's not terrible. But then God can also appoints things to come into your life, that are bad. This they're discouraging, they bring hardship. But in the story, really, what you see is that all of those things are working together to bring Jonah out of his evil. Mm-hmm. Same thing happens in our lives. Right. We're quick to see God working in our life when he blesses us with a plant to give us comfort. But when God removes those things, or maybe he sends other things into our life, we don't often see the negative things in our life as God actually blessing us and showing us favor right. to discipline us. No one likes to be disciplined. Right. But all of it that's going on for Jonah is the goodness of God, that God is showing him grace. Because God's doing what God has to do, because God uses means, we forget that, we think, oh, can't just God just, he can just flip a switch and just change Jonah's heart. That's not how God works in the world. Mm-hmm. God uses means to bring us out of those conditions right. that we find ourselves when our will is not aligned with God's. God will use for his people whatever means necessary to bring them out of their sin. Yeah. So there's that element going on. Yeah. And it really really all leads up to that last question. You're you're angry about and you have pity and compassion on this plant, an inanimate object. Should I not have compassion? Should I not have compassion? compassion toward a city, and the implication being like, as God planted that plant, he planted this city. Nineveh was planted by God. It grew into a great city because of God, and God has purposes for the city, and it's filled with image bearers. That's the other part, right? That's that's deeply rooted <clears throat> in the Hebrew theology, is that all people are made in the image of God. They're mm-hmm. image bearers, and Jonah doesn't care about them at all. Right. But God cares. That's, that's cares the question. more about a, a plant than people. Yeah. Shouldn't I care about the city that has 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left? Uh, and also much cattle. So, and the answer is obviously, yes, God, if he's true to himself, which he always is, he never changes, Jonah knows the answer is yes. God should. 
right? And the question then ends the the book for self-examination. Will Jonah care? And will future generations of Israelites care? One commentator said people would read this book in captivity as a people taken away by Nineveh, mm. right? Yeah. So imagine living in Nineveh's empire and reading a book about God lavishing his grace and mercy on a people who later had carried you away into captivity, right. and having to grapple with this question, should God care about these people? Does God care and love these people enough that he would save them? And then, do I care, and am I okay with God doing what he wants? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's for, it forces us to, to end with it, trying to answer that question for ourselves. Um, do I care about God's glory and his fame in the earth, and that there are people that live and die on the earth, and they never hear? They don't know their right hand from their left. I guess we could talk about that briefly. Um, should I not pity them? The 120,000 people don't know their right hand from their left. Some say that's children, and that's a fine interpretation. Um, I think that's okay. It doesn't it doesn't do anything wrong in the text, um, meaning that you have this massive city of maybe 600,000, but there's 120,000 in here that they don't know. They can't even reason yet. So they're not engaged in the wickedness of their parents, uh, the evil, should they die too. But another one is that I think is very compelling is that it's a Hebrew idiom, which means lacks the ability to distinguish between things. And so it's used throughout the Bible, and I gave two examples. One is in 2 Samuel 19. It's used of this old priest. He's like 80 years old, and he's a wine taster for David. But he's so old now he can't, he can't distinguish his right from his left meaning he doesn't know what's good and what's bad anymore. Um, it's also used in Ezekiel as a criticism or an accusation of God against the priests of Israel who were unfaithful, who uh, profane holy things, and not only that, they, uh, they don't de- make any distinctions between what God says is holy or and unclean, and they don't teach the people the difference either. So not only do they not make distinct- distinctions between the right and the left, they don't teach the people to distinguish between the right and the left, or what is pleasing to God and what's displeasing to God. Yeah, And so there's this also this element then involved that here's a group of Gentile people. Israel has been negligent of their duty to make his glory and his fame known. Their responsibility is that people, they would live according to God's law. The Gentile nations would be attracted to Israel and God's law and see how wonderful of a society it was. Um, but you have this these pagans everywhere now, yes, they are guilty. That's already been established in the book. God's God threatens to judge them for their sin, and they know and they know they're sinners because they the king says, repent, repent of the evil, repent of our wickedness and our violence, right? So they know they're guilty and they deserve destruction. So the question is not if they're guilty or not. The question is, are they guilty in ignorance? And they are they're guilty in their ignorance, and that has profound implications today because people all over the world are guilty before God. Mm -hmm. Um, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is the point of the book of Romans. Um, Even people who have never heard of Yahweh, people who have never heard of Jesus Christ, have never heard the gospel, have never even had a chance 
to hear and respond to the gospel, they are guilty in their sins. They are also in the state of not being able to distinguish their right from their left. Not that they can't distinguish between what we would call uh, objective moral truths that permeate all of society, as the moral law is on everyone's heart, but they don't have explicit revelation. And I think I like that because that really forces us to grapple with this question, and it should have Israel too. Um, are we actually doing what God wants us to do? Do we actually care about unbelievers enough to take them the revelation of God so they could distinguish the right from their left? Or are we okay with them dying in their ignorance? And that's really how the book lends. God is not okay with people dying in their ignorance, so he commissions a people, that's his means, but yeah. what happens with the people's hearts grow cold, right? and those people don't care anymore. So God's not okay, uh, and that's how the book ends with that question. And yeah. the question is obvious. Yes, God is right to have compassion, and the question is left hanging there. Uh, do, do you even share in your God's heart? Yeah. And that's how it ends. Right. So you're forced to grapple with that. It, it would appear that the message was lost on Israel because um, I I put a note at the end of Jonah that this is the this is a parable of the prodigal son. Mm. Um, it, Israel, when Jesus when Jesus comes, it's not just that they don't care about the Gentiles; they don't care about the people in Israel who they deem as unworthy of salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the tax collectors and the and the sinners. They're constantly criticizing Jesus for eating with them. Like, don't you know what kind of woman this is? Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't. She doesn't deserve this. Um, and I, I think that's. I think that's a good. Um, I mean, that's a powerful application as we're asking yeah. that question. As we're we're grappling with the question that God asked to Jonah. Yeah. And as as you mentioned before, so we're kind of in it is like we live in we live in Nineveh. Mm-hmm. We don't have to go somewhere to look. Yes, I mean, like I don't want to like try to undermine missions because there are people who've never even seen a Bible in their yeah. own language. Right. So yeah, I mean, we need missionaries to go and to take the gospel into the world. But you live in Nineveh, mm-hmm. literally. Right. We might not hang human skins up on our city walls, but we pretty much do everything else. Yeah. You know, um, we are profoundly not a Christian people in this nation anymore. So we are living in a pagan culture, increase, uh, not not just the reemergence of actually old school paganism, it's like the reemergence of the old gods into our society. Mm. Paganism, spiritism, witchcraft, um, all various means of immorality and violence. Like, we're living there. This is where we're living. You don't even... You don't have to go to another place to try to be faithful to where God's trying to drive us with this question. Thousands of people live in our city, and they've never heard the gospel before. There are probably thousands of people in our city that grew up around Christianity that have never heard the gospel before. Ever. So, do we even care about that? Right. That's the question. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, we need to continuously pray that God will give us a heart like His. Mm. That will, um, 
have compassion on those who are lost. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks for preaching the book of Jonah. Yeah. It was good. Hopefully Thank it you. was helpful for um, our church. And hopefully this podcast has been helpful for those who are listening. Hopefully so. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, if it has been beneficial, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. And uh, next week we'll be beginning uh, Hebrews chapter 13. So we'll, uh, we'll finish up the book of Hebrews in six weeks. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening today. I hope you have a good week. And we'll see you next time. Bye.